0: so we're back this time we have angel feathers gold dust we're raising the dead we're performing exorcism and dave says he's been to heaven a couple times oh don't forget fire tunnels fire tunnels yes those are very 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 important you are listening to The Warcast, the official podcast of Warcry Media. You can get us at warcrymedia.com for more info and for more content. You can visit us there. So we're going to continue our series in Gnar. We did uh, the Nar last time. I like I like being able to say it like that, the Nar. We did the Gnar. Um, so we're going to be doing part two. Not sure how many parts this is going to end up turning into, but we'll see where it goes. So you... Are listening to the Warcast? This is going to be part two of our nar series. I have David Shoemaker. Yes, let me let me say that one more time to correct our last episode. I said Shoemaker, which is a, which is a lie, just a flat out lie. It's not his name. It's Shoemaker, and I, I'm proud to know him as, as shoemaker. Dave, what's up, Shoemaker? Hello. So last last time we we kind of gave a, a general overview of of what the New Apostolic Reformation is. So if you didn't listen last time, I would say go back to episode one um, on, on the New Apostolic Reformation, listen to that before you jump into this, and uh, that'll give you a little bit better of a context of what we're going to be talking about today. Um, but we did discuss last time some of the... Uh, some of the definitions of the NAR, and actually how hard it is to define because it is not a denomination, it's not a specific movement, and it doesn't have a um, a, a, a large structure in place like a lot of other denominations do. However, there, there are definitely signs, um, there's definitely a theology uh, behind the NAR, and there is definitely a movement that can be traced with um, the NAR and I was actually seeing uh, maybe I maybe I told you Dave or sent it to you. I think there's like a I don't know if it was a Hillsong thing or it may have been a Jesus Culture thing that's coming to Las Vegas.
1: That was Hillsong.
0: Oh, it was Hillsong. Okay, well scratch that then. That has nothing to do with this. But um,
1: although they are uh, they they are very NAR ish and growing in that. Yeah, so. there,
0: there's a flavor of that, and I, I could definitely see that becoming that because it's definitely. Uh, Based around the the, the same uh, issue of of feelings over uh, the Bible, so I, you know how Ben Shapiro's got uh, feelings over facts, or your facts don't care about your feelings. Well, the Bible doesn't care about your feelings. Actually, that's not quite true, but <laughs> so I like that better than uh, than facts don't care about your feelings. But um, so yeah, kind of jumping into to today, we're not. I don't want to be discussing every leader that we did last time. We gave a list last time. Um, we gave a a small opening as to some of the theological um, issues that are, are in the NAR. And we kind of talked about, you know, here's characteristics of how you recognize NAR, whether it's a church or it's its leaders or it's um, some kind of outreach in, in a community. Um, there are characteristics of uh, of NAR that I, I think are, are very clear, and that seem to be consistent across the board. And so we want to we kind of want to highlight one of those today cuz we we ended on last time the idea of what attracts so many people to the new apostolic reformation is uh the idea of experience and 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 the feelings that are generated by experiences as the things that fuel and and, and continue to push people towards the NAR. So it, it's it's almost like a new it's almost like a new uh religious paradigm if I could if I could put it that way where they see the old one as a traditional sitting in church, sitting in pews, hearing a guy preach for an hour, um, doing the the, I guess what you could call the this standard American church going and they they see that as boring as dead um, and, and is something that doesn't attract them. and so they see, the New Apostolic Reformation, they're young, they're full of energy, they're going out and in, in, in helping in the community, and they're having what they think are these really crazy, ecstatic, high-energy experiences of the Spirit, and they're attributing these things to the Spirit of God and attributing them to Christ and the name of Christ, and so... These And a lot of them, it's young people. It's it's kind of our generation and, and the generation after us of just young people who are searching for something they want to be more meaningful and deeper than simply hearing a guy preach for an hour and then going home and then doing nothing about that the rest of the week, which we could talk hopefully maybe in another episode of, of ways... That the that the church has actually failed to reach people like this because church has become cold and has become dead. But today we want to focus on I think the crux of the issue, and what we just highlighted last week is trading in the authority of God's word for the authority of your own experience, and not treating Scripture as the final authority. That that the Bible is actually where we derive not only. How we view our experience, but how we actually come to know and to think about God. And uh, Dave, last time I think you you spoke on it well when we were thinking through, um, like ways people get get caught up into the the movement is you know you've said it a couple times. It's well, you know, I've really had this this strong experience, and I know this experience to be true. And you know what? What were some of the pitfalls uh, of things you've you've heard when people have said that, and and how it's related, like to the Bible?
1: Well, I think, I mean, even even what you said, even joking, you know, when we started that the Bible doesn't care about our feelings, and then, you know, correcting yourself, that's not necessarily true, and to, to, to have a right foundation and to not, to not throw every, I mean, to throw the baby out with the bathwater, they say, but you know, we are to have feelings, you know, God gave us feelings and our, our feelings and our emotions. Those are good things when they are brought in subjection to God's word. And anybody who says that they're a Christian and, and, sings a song about Christ dying on the cross for us and drinking down God's wrath without any sort of emotion or feeling involved. uh, You know, that's not a good thing. We should have feelings of love towards God and we should have emotion towards uh, the Lord and we should be broken over sinners going to hell every day. And so we are to have feelings, but with the NAR, it's uh, completely backwards. It's that they take the Bible and they judge it based on their feelings. And we are to take our feelings and judge those based on the Bible. So it's 100% backwards. There, There's this experience that's had, and then they read something in the Bible, and they say, well, it doesn't matter because I, I felt it myself. And and therefore that... Um, supersedes what the Bible says. When we should be under the impression that our flesh lies to us regularly and our mind plays tricks on us and we need to know God's word. And when we have a certain feeling or we experience a certain experience that we go to God's word. And when God's word says, what you experienced, the Bible says that the opposite is true then we take that experience and we throw it away and we say, I believe what God's word says. Mm-hmm. And so I believe that it's backwards in that movement is that they they judge God's word based on their feelings instead of the other way around. And I think that's where the major danger comes in. And that's why you can't talk to them. As I said, I've met many on the strip down there doing evangelism and it's uh, they tell you these experiences that they had well i i prayed for a lady's back and it felt better so then i got her to say the sinner's prayer and i'm out here making christians what are you doing mm-hmm. you're just out here spewing hate from your little stool as you're street preaching or whatever it is and yet um, they walk away feeling good about themselves because based on getting somebody to experience some sort of feeling, they got them to say something about Jesus, and therefore they're a Christian now. And so the the backwards nature of of throwing God's word away because it differs from our feelings, instead of throwing our feelings away because they differ from God's Word, um is a fundamental, if not the fundamental, um problem with the movement. I would say,
0: yeah, and I th- I think one of the 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 symptoms, the outward symptoms of that, and and signs of that is there's a lot of emphasis put on what they would call miracles or the supernatural happening when they meet together. So when I was <laughs> You know, when I was reading that list off before, that was actually a list of signs and wonders that are often attributed uh, to either churches or leaders or revivals or whatever it is associated with the NAR that that is as claimed to have happened. You know, there's been these claims that people in church have seen, you know, gold dust coming from um, well, they're, they're claiming it's coming from heaven, right? It, it's the Holy Spirit, and this is gold mm. dust coming from heaven when it's really coming from the ventilation system in the church. The um, glory cloud, yeah, the glory cloud, or angel feathers um, that that are that are coming from uh, that are coming down from heaven. Or there's these these uh, you know people who get up on stage and claim that they've been to heaven and and that they visit and that they heard God speak and God was talking with them like they were just two friends walking down the side of the road and i mean there's a, there's a lot of other stuff there right there's there's the normal um typical pentecostal charismatic stuff of you know being drunk in the spirit and and laughing uncontrollably and falling upon the floor and people touching you and throwing you down in the spirit and all of these different things being and being lit on fire <laughs> yeah being lit on you know going through fire tunnels and being lit on fire where you have this you have this uh ecstatic and and this this great rush of the Spirit come upon you, and so I think for a lot of people, the reason that that is the case is because of these different things. They they actually believe they've experienced signs and wonders um, from the Holy Spirit, and they these things are really controlling um, how they how they view the Bible, and then how they view you know them being they, them being right about the Bible that there's no way they could possibly be wrong, and so. I think one one area to try to do is to really highlight what the Bible highlights and just compare and contrast. And so, and I think the reason we, we could do this right now is it's good to see what is claimed and what people say in the name of God and then actually compare it to the Word of God and just let the Word of God speak for itself. We won't even have to say too much on it by simply just, just reading and like you said, one thing I've I have heard and I think is a testimony, or when I say testimony, what well, a lot of people will testify to is the fact that they the reason they know it's true is because they had an experience. And that in and, and in this case, that experience usually is is around like a crazy, ecstatic, supernatural experience. And it's same in principle for what you said last time. It's very similar to the Mormon, or it's very similar to the Jehovah's Witness, or whatever cult is out there there is something that undergirds their experience within that movement that will absolutely make them unmovable regardless of what the bible says so we recognize and we rightly should recognize as as those who who see regeneration as being absolutely necessary in order for somebody to understand biblical truth rightly is you, what we need to do is actually compare the two and say, "Here's what the Bible says," and just present it that way, and let the two contrast themselves without us trying to argue somebody, um, you know, into a corner, and just say, "Hi, I got you." You know, that's what it says. Instead, let's just let's say what the Bible says, and then say what they have to say, and then I think you'll be able to see the comparison. It's a, I think, one common thing, and you can comment on this verse. I'm going to start in Deuteronomy 13. One common thing you'll hear, and this this can apply beyond the NAR, but I think it, it hits really hard at the NAR, and that's the the miracles that undergird a lot of the theology, and the theology is usually pretty bad, that undergirds a lot of theology is the experience or the sign or, or the wonder or whatever. And Scripture actually makes clear that just because somebody does a sign— doesn't necessitate that it's actually of God, even if that sign is real or if a, or if it's some kind of prophetic word, even if that prophetic word is real. So I'm going to begin in Deuteronomy 13, beginning in verse 1. And this is what it says, Deuteronomy 13, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says... So notice, he's giving them a, a, a standard, even if someone rises among you who's a prophet or a dreamer, someone who can work a sign or a wonder, right, a miracle, and it does come to pass, what they say comes to pass, or what they do comes to pass, or they're, they're somehow a mixture of the two. Even if it comes to pass, he says this, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. So I think that text is pretty clear. I don't think there needs to be added a lot of commentary. But the, the notion of being cautious and to show discernment around these different things is because even if someone does perform a sign in the name of God, if it leads you to worship other gods, then it, the, then it doesn't matter what they did. It's, it, it's not from the Lord. So it is possible then with this verse, it sets up the scenario that it's possible to sit in on things that are in the name of Jesus that are all done and said to be to the glory of Jesus and done and said to be for the love of people and people can have real legitimate experiences with something that is supernatural or where somebody works uh, a sign or wonder or someone who speaks a prophetic word and it can come to pass that's a pretty big setup <laughs> that's normally people would be like okay I'm sold that's true like that's that's the stamp of authenticity And yet, even that whole setup, even if you have all those things in place, the Bible says that's not good enough. Because if it leads you to worship and follow after other gods, if it leads you to... And and notice the contrast. The contrast is, don't listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, right? Because these signs and wonders, all signs and wonders are just like what it says. A, A sign points to something. It points beyond itself. So, when whether it's Old Testament um, Israel experiencing false prophets or whether it's in the NAR and all these things are happening, even when these these if they are legitimate supernatural things are happening, notice that the distinction is not simply well like, ignore ignore the funny stuff because we're not about signs and wonders and miracles. The issue is who you follow after and the words that accompany those signs and wonders. So he says, don't listen to those words of that prophet or the dreamer of dream. So notice it's the words. Don't listen to the words, what they are saying, pretty much in the name of God. So these signs and wonders are being attributed to whatever God they're trying to get you to follow after. And it says, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love him with all of your heart with all of your soul. And then he gives the command that shows how you know. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul, you shall walk after the Lord your God, fear him, keep his commandments, obey his voice. So there's a very clear distinction. There is the Lord's voice. And you are to test whatever experience you have with the voice that you know. And so, and Dave, you can I think you could definitely offer some comments on this, but it really, really pushes the point that I think we're pushing is if Listen, if if you are in the NAR, or if you've been around it, or you know people who are in it, it's going to come down to this. How can you follow through with that command? Because if you don't know the voice of the Lord that is distinct from whatever person is saying, hey, this is what the Lord's doing. Hey, this is what the Lord said. Hey, look at this sign and wonder from God. If you're not able to compare and contrast that with the way Deuteronomy 13 says, then you have no way to know whether or not that those people are actually doing those things in the name of God or or are doing them by by the actual word of God. You, you have no way to actually know. And that to me, that that's that's huge. It's key because you can have all of those things lined up. You can have every single one of them. But the minute it stops short of actually. Um, pursuing after the one true God and, and true things about Him, then it's false. Then, it, then it's then it's false, and you're. It's actually showing you that you better not follow after them because those people are, are are liars and those people are false teachers and those people actually lead you down to destruction because you're actually chasing after foreign gods. You're chasing after a false god.
1: Yeah, and I mean, ultimately, it is. Leading to a different God, and that's this movement. Uh, They, there may be some, there may be some in there, just like there may be some people in Catholicism that really do worship Christ, but they're not going to stay in it, you know. And there may be some people in the NAR that really do worship God, but as they're as the Holy Spirit is is quickening them more and more and giving them more and more light, they're taking the Holy Spirit into one of those uh, silly factories of running around and shaking and falling on the floor and lighting on fire and barking like a dog. The Holy Spirit is going to be grieved being in there, seeing his name being made a mockery of and God's name being made a mockery of, and he's not going to continue to go into that place. And It ultimately does come down to that they have a different God. And that may be extremely offensive to them and to many people there, which it would have been to me when I was in that. But it needs to be realized that the Holy Spirit is coming to make much of Christ. That was, Jesus said he was going to send the Holy Spirit and it was going to reveal Christ to them and to others. And so when you are preaching a Holy Spirit that wants to make much of himself, that is a different God. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit doesn't come to earth and come to non-believers to make much of himself. He comes to point to Christ and say, there's the Son of Man who died for your sins. Worship him, follow him, be like him, know him, not know me and seek me and, and, and do signs and wonders through me. It's, it's all about Christ. And that's what the Holy Spirit's job is, is to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment and those things pertaining to Christ. And so you see in these places that so much more is talked about and made of the Holy Spirit. And that that's never that never was the Holy Spirit's intention. And it never biblically That wasn't what the Bible said the Holy Spirit was coming to do, was to make himself the center of the stage. And in the NAR and in those other movements, the Holy Spirit is the center. The very, very center talked about more than anything. And that's a different God. That's a different Holy Spirit. And I mean, there's other things we'll probably get into where, you know, I believe that they, many of them even have a different Jesus, And that's, you know, that's even going back to ancient heresies from the past that are coming up again, which is always the circle with heresies that they go through a dormant period. And then as soon as people forget about it, they, Satan brings them right back up again. And that's just another aspect of it as well, where they, they talk about Jesus. Um, the reason why, I mean, I guess we can get into some of it now, but the reason why we are to be looking to doing these raising the dead and performing all these miracles and uh, the reason why is because they say, well, Jesus was just like us and you're just like him because he was just a man that had the Holy spirit and he was able to do these things. And then they'll completely contradict themselves by saying, to try and cover themselves saying, I'm not saying he wasn't fully God. Uh, But then they contradict that right away by saying he was just a man and he just had the spirit and that's it. And you can do the very same things he did. That's why. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that he came down fully God and fully man, and that he was continuing to hold all things together by the power of his word. There is a difference in Jesus and just us who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, Jesus did things through the power of the Spirit, but he was fully God and fully man. We cannot say that about ourselves. And so I believe that they have a different Jesus as well. If they say, oh, well, you're exactly like Jesus was when he was on earth. And so that's a different Jesus as well. And then the way they preach the father that uh, Bill Johnson recently, something I saw recently on that movie, American gospel, which I highly recommend that you go and watch cause they do a great job of presenting all this stuff, but free
0: plugin right there, American <laughs> gospel, yes. you can buy it or
1: stream it please watch it. It's well, well worth it. Um, but he says that any view of God, any view of God's sovereignty, which allows for suffering is an immoral view of God. And so that God's sovereignty is not over suffering is what he says. But the funny thing was because I've gotten into this conversation before, regarding God's sovereignty and regarding suffering. And we were talking about the book of Job and how in the beginning Satan comes and wants to test Job or, and God says yes and he gives him permission. And the people I was talking to said, yeah, but it was still Satan who did it. And, and it wasn't God. So either God's not powerful enough to overcome Satan or whatever it is. But then I was, um, I was reading this morning, finishing Job, and I'm trying to find the passage that I was in now where it talks about. Let me see.
0: Well, and while you're looking at that passage, it's there and I think that this highlights another issue. So I mean, one we've just highlighted is there's there's no way when it comes So well, I guess what we're saying in our first point is, If experience and signs and wonders are the basis of who you think God is, who you think Jesus is, what God or Jesus you're following, and is actually the basis for your theology, then you actually have no way to obey God when he says, hey, even even if these guys come among you and you experience true things, whether it's miracles or prophecies or if it's a mixture of both, even if those things come to pass... If they lead you after other gods, then they're, they're false teachers. Don't follow after them. You're gonna go off into destruction. You don't have any way to, to be able to distinguish those things within this. You you have actually no way to know that the that the Jesus or the God you were following after is the one true one because you're basing it off the very same off the very same experience that you're using to validate. So you end up being circular in your thing. But what you're getting on now is that experience has a theology regardless if it wants to admit it has a theology and say, well, you know, I, I don't get my experience just, you know, or my, my theology is just strictly from reading the words. Like I've known God, I've walked with him, I've experienced him. And the point is, yeah, well that experience actually gives you doctrine still. It gives you theology. It gives you stuff that you believe. And when you start to flesh those things out, like you're doing right now on suffering, it hits on every area, whether it's the Holy spirit, whether it's Christ, whether it's God's sovereignty over suffering and, um, I, yeah. think, I think what you have it, just is going to highlight that.
1: Yeah, and so, and I'm sorry to not find it right away. I wasn't planning on reading this verse, but it just came to mind, and I happened to read it this morning. But he says, "Then came to him." I, this is Job 42 in verse 11. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters, and all who had known him before and ate bread with him. Um, in his house and they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil or it can be disaster that the Lord had brought upon him. And so we see here clearly, if you read through the book of Job, you see disaster upon disaster and his own friends telling him, you're a wicked man and you need to repent and then God will restore you. And we see that uh, they showed him sympathy and comforted him. This is verse the end of verse 11 for all the disaster or evil that the Lord had brought upon him. So the Lord brought upon this, uh, this was brought upon Job by the Lord for the Lord's sovereign purposes. And so we can see that, the new apostolic reformation people like bill johnson they cannot allow for this verse in their theology yeah they have to somehow find a way around it because if that's the case then they can no longer stand in the front of the pulpit and say god's desire is to heal everybody no matter what and if you're sick it's because you don't have enough faith while he's wearing glasses because his eyes are so bad yeah and so it's you know, it's, it's a different God. That's why it's a different God because they don't have a God that's sovereign over everything. They have a God that can't help suffering. Or even if there is suffering, it's your fault because you don't have enough faith. And then God's not even stronger than your lack of faith. So you're actually stronger than God too. And the devil's stronger than God. So what eventually, what is God actually God over Mm -hmm. if he's held back by all these different things that you're doing wrong, you know? And so, it ultimately comes back to what you started with that, that verse that you read and the verses you read told us that they can do these things and there may even be real things done by these people. Uh, that they're given some sort of power to do. But then if those people point you in a different direction than the truth of who God is, father, son, and Holy spirit as revealed in his word, then it says, do not listen to them. And if we heeded that warning, there would be many, many people departing from that movement in, in the hundreds of millions, because there's 450 million of them around the world. And so it does come from that faulty, Failure to discern, failure to look and 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 heed that very warning because they see well. They're doing these things. I've been there. I've heard people say I've been there, and I've seen this happen. Well, the Bible says that's a possibility that yeah. you could be in a you could be in a Hindu uh, chant and whatever if they do services, and you could see the very same things happen. But then they're going to point you to a different God, and then we say, okay, that's wrong. But then for some reason, we fail to do that with this group because they happen to use the name Jesus. You know, it's just we need to wake up and see that just because they're not blatantly Hindu um, or whatever other thing that's given that name because they masquerade as angels of light uh, we failure to we fail to actually discern that and we need to we need to get back on that. And uh, I think this
0: is what this is really highlighting uh, is the fact that there is a theology there. Uh, and so we're really highlighting, I mean you really are highlighting on suffering and it's funny because what, what you're actually doing is you're walking back, an idea about God that they would that they would claim is a, and we would have to say that's theology. And anytime you're talking about God, you're, you're theologizing. You're you're saying this is who God is or what He does. But if you walk that back, what's really behind that idea that God is a God who heals, and then um, there, there's no room for suffering or for sickness. That those are things that God wants you. To, um, to be rid of, and you need to be rid of those things by faith. So if they're not getting rid of, then it, then it's you're not you're not pursuing God by faith and believing in Him. But what what is really driving that? What's actually rooted behind that is still the experience itself. There is not a theological. There is not a let me let me say this this way. There is not a Bible verse or a set of scriptures backing that idea up. It's this idea that I've experienced this therefore, and then concluding all of these different things. And so, the the New Apostolic Reformation in this movement does have a theology. It, it does have ideas concerning uh, the Holy Spirit, concerning Christ, concerning, concerning healing, concerning every single thing you could possibly think about. And you, you have to know that the, the theology is, is being driven by something. There's always something in the driver's seat that is pushing something forward. That that is that is propelling something forward. And in this case, it, it's very obvious that it's the experience, and it's the it's the experience of signs and wonders and in these high ecstatic, high energy, um, uh, you know, shows. Pretty much that that people get caught up in. And I want to I continue to highlight this because I think it's good to kind of show, like, okay, there's this idea of suffering and sovereignty where, as you said, well, it, it pretty much, if, you, if you're going to, like, reduce it all the way back, if you're going to follow that argument all the way back, it, it, God's really in control of what? Nothing. And so what you start actually seeing highlighted is the fact that these are different gods. Because if God is saying, this is what I want— and you're tracing all of that back to experience, and then we're saying, well, here's what God wants. He wants Christ exalted. He wants the Spirit to be poured out so that Christ is made much of and God is made much of. Well, now you're starting to see that whatever we base our our, our experience and our ideas on and our and ultimately our theology on is actually leading to do two different areas. It's not like we're landing on the same area and highlighting little little distinctions and differences here. We're actually leading to a different God because He has a totally different purpose. And if that purpose is simply to heal and, and and to simply make much of um of much of people and to make much of the spirit, when I think we're gonna read this and I think it'll be important, but that this when the spirit is made much of more than it's you know it's made of Christ, then you gotta know that there's there's actually two different gods that we're actually talking about at this point. Even if we claim to use the same names, and we claim to, you know, speak of 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 the uh, of the of the same Jesus and of the same Spirit and of the same Father. And if you think, there, I mean, there's a lot of different things we, I want to go through, but like in John 14, Jesus talks about this in John 14:25. He says, "These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper." the holy spirit whom the father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that i have said to you so jesus already has the idea that the sending of the spirit that the, that the disciples are supposed to wait upon that they're going to need is in order to do two things it's to recall to mind the things that christ has said and then when we see in Acts that they receive the Spirit at Pentecost, it's to exalt the greatness of Christ—the fact that He's uh, died, He's been buried, He's resurrected, and that He's ascended. He actually sits on the throne now; He rules and He reigns. And it's to—it's to exalt the risen and ascended Christ. The, so that's the flow from the Gospels to Acts into the New Testament is the idea that the Spirit is given to recall and to bring to remembrance the things of Christ. It's not to highlight, and you said this earlier just in our side conversation, it's It's not to highlight the supernatural miracles brought about by the Spirit. Now, the Spirit, does, you. if you read Acts, it's all about the Spirit, but it's always in a connection with the preaching of Christ, of the gospel, of the kingdom, people believing upon Christ, repenting, believing, being baptized, and then it says the spirit added to the church such and such, such and such. And so the the highlight is always these people were brought in by the spirit. Yes, the spirit is always working, and we need the spirit to work. What, you know, without the spirit we can do nothing, but it's always highlighting Christ. And that's the second point of this is when we confess the 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 faith that's been handed down once and for all to the saints that has been confessed for the last two thousand years, we have confessed that the Spirit is sent from by the Father and by the Son in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son, so that the Spirit doesn't have this role or this connection that is somehow separate from the from the role and and uh, and and uh, purpose of the Father and of the Son, so. Jesus says, the Spirit's coming to bring to remembrance things about me. Why? Because it's all about me. Jesus sees the Bible as all about him in Luke 24, 44. The Bible's all about the Christ, which is what he is. He's Messiah. And the Spirit is being actually sent in the name of the Son and of the Father, so that he's going representing more than just, hey, I'm the Spirit, boom, 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 miracle for you, miracle for you, mm. miracle for you. He, you know, the Holy Spirit is not Oprah Winfrey throwing out presents to make much of himself. It's to make much of somebody else.
1: Amen. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's the the issue. I mean, it's, I don't see the thing that, that really is hard for me to understand is I don't see any other time in church history where we can see clear blasphemies against God, extremely clear blasphemies against God. And it's laughed at and, and and it's afraid to discern that these people are blaspheming God and cannot possibly be Christians if they are doing so. And we're afraid to say that yet any other time in church history, no one would be afraid to say that is blasphemy and you need to repent of that. But in our, in this, in this part of it, and it's because you've heard, you've heard me say, you know, a million times it's because we don't know who God is in our American Western Christianity. We don't know who God is. So it's acceptable to say things. I mean, Bill Johnson's, Uh, daughter-in-law, Jen Johnson, calls the Holy Spirit. To her, the Holy Spirit is the genie from Aladdin, and he's blue, and he's funny, and he's sneaky. And to say things like that, and you can look that up, that's on YouTube, that's from her own mouth, her sitting on the stage at Bethel in front of the entire congregation, calling the Holy Spirit the genie from Aladdin, and he's blue. And and they And people laughing and clapping. And people that. laughing and they're, clapping they're... and 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 mocking the Holy Spirit. And 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 so these people that are claiming to love the Holy Spirit and that we don't love the Holy Spirit because we're just up there singing hymns um and lifting up Christ. So we don't actually love the Holy Spirit. These people that are claiming that they do are actually blaspheming him. And so that's what's just appalling to me. And the fact that we can sit there and allow that and not call that out as blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, blasphemy against God, Mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit, and allow that to go on. And then to say that that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and people to be angered that we're actually calling her out for saying those things. And Bill Johnson for allowing that to go on, on the stage without saying anything to her, without coming and having a public apology that that's been said about the God of the universe. I mean, that's, That's sickening and appalling to me that those things can be said and nobody—and then when we bring it up and we say that that's blaspheming the Holy Spirit and it needs to be repented of, we're looked at as the ones that are evil and mean. And And And, crazy. It's just things are so flipped on their head, and and I believe 100% the foundation of it is— We do not know God as we should, as revealed in his word. I mean, that was the point of the Reformation was sola scriptura, Uh, you know, scripture alone, because it revealed who the God is that is to get glory alone. Yes. You know, and it reveals how our faith is to be and who it is to be towards. And, you know, so they, they don't and and i don't know god as i should and i strive to know him more but there's a we need to be seeking to know god as he has revealed himself not as our mind wanders and thinks that it's hearing voices from god and this god is the genie from aladdin although the bible says that's blasphemy against him you know, I mean that's uh, we need to to know the Bible and there from that know who God is. And then when somebody says something like that instead of an entire congregation or a group of people applauding and laughing, they would get up and command her to repent yes. and get off the stage. That's what should happen. Yes. But but they don't know that the that, that God rightly, you know.
0: Yeah. And this this will go into our next episode with what you're talking about. Uh, because, I mean, what we're really highlighting in, in, in this one today is there's, there's much said about God in the name of God and much said about the things that he does and the things that he's about, but there's no grounding for it except in experience. And what actually should be happening is when people go up there and say things about God and, and say things about who He is and say silly things like that, there should be people who actually love the glory of God and love the glory of Christ who would who would speak straight out at that and say, that's wrong, you need to get off the stage, you're blaspheming God's name, and you need to repent. And the reason that's not the case is because Scripture really is not um, their authority. It's not the final word. It's not... The, hey, this is this is the standard by which I judge everything uh, else off of, and that's that's ultimately going to be the. I mean, the root of the problem is not seeing. It's one thing to say you believe the Bible is God's word and that God speaks into it, and that even you know your church website has a confession that says we well, believe the Bible's inerrant and blah 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 blah, but. At the end of the day, if your church allows things like that, where you can go up and talk about the Holy Spirit like he's just like some cartoon character, or you can speak of God in ways that are so, um, in ways that are so irrational in, in, in ways that uh, make absolutely no sense, uh, then you've really shown where you think um, that your authority comes from—that that it comes from you or that it comes from some man. And, I mean, that's just, that's the heart of the problem. And I want to wrap up on the Holy Spirit because I just, you know, we highlighted that text in John 14, and I just want to highlight two real quick. So in First Corinthians 12, Paul, it, he, before he even introduces the spiritual gifts, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of god ever says jesus is accursed and no one can say jesus is lord except in the spirit so the 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 way you can know before you get into any discussion about spiritual gifts or, or anything of the like is nobody can actually confess christ without the spirit no one can say he is lord without the spirit and i think the the point of this is is not that Um, these people would disagree with what that says, but rather I think what it shows is that the spirit's role is in confessing Christ. That's the role of the spirit, that the spirit and the empowering of the spirit, even among, you know, concerning spiritual gifts is to highlight Christ. That's the, Mm -hmm. that's the whole purpose that you can't actually say Jesus is Lord without the spirit. So the point is you need The Spirit, in order to um, confess Christ as Lord, because the Spirit is the one who reveals and testifies to Christ, and then the same thing in 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 John. In in John,
1: even on that passage, though, I mean, you've heard people. I've heard people mock and say. Oh, so I can't say the words, Jesus is Lord in English. Jesus is Lord. See, I'm not saved and I said it, but that confessing is to confess also with your life to live as Jesus is Lord and that he is the priority and he is the number one thing. And, and the power of the Holy Spirit, we see acts as a book of power from the Holy Spirit. And it's a power to confess Jesus as Lord with your life. It's a power to walk in holiness. It's a power. It's not a power to just... Kabam, do this, and kabam, do that. It's not like that type of power coming out of you. It's a power to live a life. Your life is confessing that Jesus is your Lord. You're growing in repentance. You're growing in a proper fear of the Lord, that he is holy, and we are not unless our connection to him is right. And it's this this type of confession that Jesus is Lord. That's the power of the Holy Spirit, the power to walk in holiness, to grow in repentance, and to know the true and living God more, and to know his word more. It's not just bam, new leg, bam, new eye, bam, new, you know, free from cancer. God may do those types of healings, but that is not true power. I mean, yes. the devil can use somebody to do some sort of crazy thing. There's demonic forces out there that can use somebody to do some sort of miracle, or God can even use a lost person if he wants to do some sort of miracle. But nobody can walk in holiness and a life that confesses Christ as Lord without the Spirit of God.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I uh- I'm, I'm glad you fleshed that out because I think that really distinguishes w- what that means in the biblical context to say, I confess Jesus as Lord compared to what we have in the American gospel said, I confess Jesus as Lord as if someone can just say those things from their lips and bang, they're, they're somehow a Christian. And now
1: God is held to this contract because you yes. said it, so God can't get out of it. You yeah. know, it's...
0: And the idea that because you say that, whatever then you do is actually in Christ's name And and just think about that section in 1 Corinthians 12, the whole point, that comes before he even lists spiritual gifts and the building up of those gifts for the body. So the heart of those gifts, yes, is the building up of the body, but that body is the body of Christ. And nobody can do those things, building up the body, highlighting Christ as Lord within the church apart from the Spirit. That's the Spirit's role. It's not like you said to go, wham, bam, wham, bam, wham, bam, and just like you're throwing out... um, you know, you're throwing out miracles like it's your new superpower. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's confessing Christ as Lord and doing so in a way to where the body is built up around the things of Scripture, and in so First John four two says, "By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the Spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already." Little children. You are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. And this is key. This part is key, so listen to this part. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So in the testing of the spirits, to know false prophets that will creep in among Christians is the confession of Jesus as Lord, as Jesus as the Christ, as Jesus come in the flesh. That is from the Holy Spirit, right? That's where that comes from. And that to not to listen to the words of the apostles, to not follow their teaching that we have written down in Scripture, if you don't listen to that, then you're not from God. In that you're you're not of the truth. And, and the implication is this, you don't know the spirit. You don't have the spirit because you don't know the spirit of truth from the spirit of error. So the whole point is, how do we know we are from God? If you listen to God. Well, how do you do that? Well, the apostle says, You listen to us. You've 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 listened to what we said and what we've written. And so here would here would be the way this flushes out. You get some dude who says he's an apostle, right? And then you would say, oh, well, he says he's an apostle, therefore he's got the same authority as someone like John. Okay. It would, not, it would then follow by a, a natural, logical um, outworking that if those apostles don't listen to the words of this apostle, that they're not from God. That if they're not listening to what is said, what is written, that they are not from God. So there would be no way around that. If you're not listening to the Word, if you're not listening to what's been said, not from written, you don't have the Spirit, you don't know Christ, and that you don't know the Spirit of truth from the Spirit of error, and I think that's I think that's huge. And I think that'll get into next next time when um, we get into a, a couple more things on, I think, some of the key theological differences, um, but moreover, I, th- I think it would be really helpful next time, like you said, and I, I know you said there's that clip. I think next time we'll actually play some clips from key people within the NAR, so you can actually hear with your own ears what these people are saying, and then really think for yourself. I mean, am I really to take this seriously? Is this really someone who's speaking in in the name of God?
1: And just to end, remembering that this is a this is a big issue because I I talk to people, even leaders of churches regularly, and they say, "Oh, well, I don't really know much about that," but when there's 450 million worldwide and they're making oh. inroads to Baptist churches into Reformed churches and to uh, all Presbyterian churches, non-denominational, when they're going into getting into all these places, mostly through music, which is what we haven't talked about yet, but Jesus culture being the worship band of Bethel church and, and traveling the world and packing 20,000 people selling out a 20,000 seat stadium in five minutes Um, And from that that stage, spouting some of these things, it is a big deal. I mean, your kids are going to be listening to this music. Your kids are going to be seeing these videos on YouTube. Your kids are going to be friends with people who are going to these places. And there, if you are not aware of these things, your kids are going to go off into that church thinking, oh, well, this is where things are happening, and this is where people actually love, and they're talking about Jesus too, and it's not going to seem like a big deal to you until you lose your church to it, or you lose your kids to it, or your own mind is drawn away. We need to see that this is a big deal. These people are everywhere, and this warning needs to be heard that, that this is a big deal, and there is deception, and people are being sucked away, and churches are being lost to this movement. So,
0: Yeah, and that's always—I mean, and at the heart, that that's why we want to do this. We want to see Christ honored and glorified in this, but then also to remember— there are people who come into this who come out of it too, but they don't come out the same. Um, they come or, out or, broken. Yeah, they come out broken, or the people who stay in there become so warped that it's not recognized. They're not recognizable anymore. So you'll hear us on the NAR uh, Part 3 that we will begin next week. But until then, guys, you're listening to the Warcast, which is the official podcast of Warcry Media. For more, you can visit us at warcrimemedia.com. You can get more content there. Go like, follow, subscribe to the podcast. And until then, guys, go turn the world upside down for Christ. Confess, live, and proclaim the faith.